Hello and welcome to episode 60-something of Pulp Today. I really should keep track of that, shouldn't I? Pause while I drink a white Russian that is also kind of a protein shake, but mostly a white Russian. Mmm. So healthy. So the show is called Pulp Today, and I have traditionally used a pretty uh, broad definition of pulp. An accurate one, but a broad one. Pulp referring to the quality of paper, meaning that anything ever printed in a cheap magazine or a cheap paperback qualifies as pulp. But colloquially, thank you, uh, when you use the term the pulps, you're really referring to a period of American magazine publishing between the 1930s and the 1950s, which uh, had beautiful and often lurid covers and presented novel-length, novella-length stories, often focusing on the exploits of amazing heroes. They're sort of the bridge between the fantastic fiction and novels and what comes just a minute after the pulp moment in comic books. Uh, most comic book heroes have progenitors in the, in the adventure pulps, in the hero pulps. And they were in a lot of genres. They were in, you know, Doc Savage is kind of a superhero, kind of an Indiana Jones kind of a guy. Uh, the Shadow is kind of like Batman, urban crime thriller character. One area I have never spoken about on the show is the war pulps, and specifically the World War I aviation pulps, which were a thing. And uh, I discovered them. My dad had this reference book when I was a kid. It has kind of a horrible racist cover, because it was a horrible racist period in some ways, called The Pulps. And there's a color section in this book that reproduces all sorts of covers. And the cover that most caught my imagination, even more than The Shadow or Doc Savage or any of those other things, was this cover for G8 and his Battle Aces. Now, I apologize for those listening on uh, iTunes. You can look this up, uh, or you can go find it on the the YouTube video. But I'll describe it for you. Uh, G8 and his battle aces, 15 cents. The cover depicts an American biplane on fire, upside down. Two seemingly transparent German biplane fighters diving at him. The Eiffel Tower is in the background. And there's also a giant dragon... And for reasons that will never be clear to me, uh, behind the dragon is the planet Saturn. I, I don't know. I, no one can explain that to me. But as that image might imply, G8 was not simply World War I adventure. It feathered in elements of the supernatural and elements of the science fictional. It was uh, steampunk before the invention of steampunk. Uh, it was World War One being fought with dragons and monsters and incredible super science weapons and all of that. They are delightful, nutty adventures. And I have uh, managed to track down... In the 70s, there was a vogue. Uh, when, the, when paperbacks exploded in the 60s and 70s, there was obviously a desire to have as many paperback series as possible and... A couple of publishers realized that the pulps provided this incredible backlog, and there was 100 Doc Savage reprints in the 70s, 
60s and 70s. They reprint some of the Shadow. They write original Shadow novels. But they also got around to G8 and his Battle Aces. They gave him a logo. Kind of looks a little bit like Doc Savage. First one was called the Bat Staffel. This cover is by Jim Steranko. And again, for those listening at home, it has a pilot looking up in terror at a giant bat diving at another American biplane. Giant bat. And uh, I'm going to read you a perfect example of the writing in these books. Author's name is Robert J. Hogan. We'll talk about him more in a minute. But here is Chapter 8, The Bat Patrol. You know what? I'm going to tell you something before we do this, before we dive in. little, uh, very simple jargon. A SPAD is an, a, a fighter plane used by the Americans during World War One. A HISO, from context, is the engine of a SPAD. And Vickers are the machine guns on a SPAD. As an aside, if I remember correctly, in his obituary it is mentioned that James Bond's father... Andrew Bond was an employee of the Vickers Corporation. All pulp comes together at some point. Anyway, Chapter 8, The Bat Patrol. Spads, Hissos, Vickers. G8 was on his feet instantly. All three were standing, staring toward the blank wall that was the side of the Jura mountain range. Something was moving in the moonlight. A great, strangely shaped thing that seemed to half float, half fly in the air. And as they stared at the object, which was perhaps a mile away and could be seen but dimly in the light of the moon, they heard a sound, a fluffing, flapping sound, slow and fluttery like the murmur of giant wings. The three stood frozen for seconds. Bull Martin was first to speak. His voice came in an angry bellow, as though to relieve his tension. Well, what are we going to do, stand here and gawk at the thing when we've got ships to fly? G8 had already started for the trail that led down into the canyon before Bull had finished speaking. Scrambling, plunging, rolling, the three raced for their tiny drome. They leaped before their hissos, spun the giant blades. Engines barked and roared into action. G8 called to Bull and Nippy while the engines warmed. Listen, he warned. This is tough, flying in the dark. Don't dare light a flare, for they'll know where we're situated. Can both of you make it? For answer, Nippy Weston and Bull Martin sprang to their cockpits. It was pitch dark in the bottom of that canyon, except for a shaft of moonlight that filtered in through the high wall. And in that light, three spads flipped their tails as they spun to head down the rock-bound passage. Hissos blasted until the walls echoed with their roar with a deafening vibration of sound. G8 rose first. Up, up, up he climbed through that slit in the top of the canyon. Following the shaft of light, Nippy and then Bull thundered their way after him. You can almost hear them. Bull turned in his seat and stared from his rear position back into the chasm from which they had taken off. He shuddered uncontrollably as at thought of going back there in the dark. Then, when he turned to follow Nippy and G8 out of the widening wall, they were above the canyon now. The three ranged the skyways with their eyes. G8 pointed, blurped his motor to catch the attention of the other two. Dimly, they could see him gesturing higher, above, and to the south. Nippy and Bull spun in their cockpits, stared. A giant object moved across the path of the moon, a monstrous thing that seemed to have a head the shape of a rat's and angular wings that either moved very rapidly or remained motionless, as though the great beast were soaring without effort. Even above the roar of the three hissos came a rhythmic beat that filled the whole air. 
a sound the G8 and Bull and Nippy could feel rather than hear. Instantly, rudders and sticks moved, the three spads banked and screamed for altitude, and as before, then the, when the three-spad flight had been returning from Germany that very morning, G8 held the lead, at point, and Bull and Nippy took their positions at left and right tips. There could be no mistaking this beast of the air now. A giant bat was soaring there before them. The wings might be sixty feet in span, great wide wings they were, with legs coming from the middle section in the rear. G8 stared, then hurled closer, scrutinizing the monster through narrowed eyes. Nippy Weston said, Jumping, Juniper, if I could produce an illusion like that, I'd have the world by the tail. Bull Martin shuddered at first, then let go an angry growl of rage and pressed his vicar's triggers. Flame spat from his guns. G8 warmed his vicars as he tore in. Nippy Weston let go with a short burst. The giant bat appeared to turn its head slightly and look at them. The ears were laid back. Great sockets seemed to be where the eyes should be. But except for the slight movement of that grotesque head, the creature moved on with that hideous flapping sound. The three pounced upon it at the same time from three different angles. Vickers rattled and bucked. White tracers slithered out like phantom ribbons in the moonlight. They ended in the wings and short, thick body of the giant bat. Again and again, those three spads leaped and dove and fired and veered past because their own speed was faster than that of the speed of the bat but it was as though the monster of the air was feelingless, immortal. Never once did it change its course straight across France. G8 came down desperately for another attack on the body of the giant bat. Vickers' steel sprayed across that form. He pulled back on the stick and sent his pellets up toward the head of the thing. Nothing seemed to halt the monster. G8 pinched himself to make sure he wasn't dreaming. I'm either crazy or else, he snarled. He stormed down again for another attack. Bull Martin snarled across his nose in a wild dive. As he screamed past, he pointed to the east. G8 turned in his seat, jerked upright. Two more giant bats were coming. Something like panic seized him for an instant. Fear was a feeling he never had known. But this trying to fight a thing you couldn't understand, couldn't kill or turn with machine gun fire was something else. Something to drive a man insane when the fate of the world lay in his hands and the world looked to him for protection. Already, Bull Martin and Nippy Weston had banked and were howling to meet those two other monsters of the air. Tongues of flame darted from their vicar's guns, but that was all that happened. Those, like the first, came on like automatons, as though nothing could stop them. For a moment, G8 was baffled. Then he sat up straight in his seat and groaned, for now he could make out a whitish-blue vapor issuing from the nostrils of the leading bat. Poison breath. The breath of the bat. I'll leave it there. The breath of the bat turns out to be a sort of horrible uh, science fictional chemical weapon. It's not enough that we have uh, giant bats. They also have a disintegrator gas, if I remember correctly. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy stuff. Now, Robert Hogan was an aviator during the First World War. After the war, he became an aircraft salesman and a training pilot and all that kind of thing. But the crash of the stock market kind of killed that for him. And he happened to read an aviation pulp magazine and, like so many of us, thought, I can do better than that. And indeed he did. They're, they're exciting, fun, ridiculous novels. They were recently reprinted by a company called Adventure House. 
uh, which didn't use the Steranko covers, but used the, the original pulp covers, which are great. And they are straight reprints out of the pulps, complete with the illustrations from the pulps and the, you know, all, it's pretty much just the whatever was printed in the pulp magazine. It's, it is a certain kind of dynamic uh, purple prose that uh, you don't see a lot of these days. And there are a hundred of those novels, by the way. Uh, I think at a certain point it was monthly or bi-monthly, and then it went down. Um, as the sort of obvious postscript, G8 and his Battle Aces lasted until 1944. Um, hard to imagine still wanting to read sort of quaint science fictional adventures set in World War One when the newspapers were full of the air war over Europe every single day when you could see things in the newsreels just as fantastic as uh, anything Robert Hogan was going to write about. But that is G8 and his Battle Aces, a, a, a really sort of perfect distillation of the style and feeling of the pulps. Until next time, keep your hissos turning, I guess. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.